Today's Bible reading, well, out of the Bible, Pew Bible on page 544. It is uh, Psalms 34, 18 through 19. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the, the Lord delivers him out of them all. In my 42 years of existence, I've only broken two bones in my whole body. It just so happens that one of those bones was my left pinky, and the other one of those bones was my right pinky. Now, some of you may remember back in 2018, I broke my right pinky because I was trimming the bushes around my house, and while holding on to the battery-powered hedge trimmer, my right hand slipped off of the guide guard, and I felt a thud, and the next thing I knew, I was driving one-handed to the ER with a paper towel wrapped around my right hand. And so I, I, I nicked the bone in my right pinky finger with the hedge trimmer, and thankfully, because it was battery-powered and the juice was running down, I didn't take it clean off. But that was the second broken bone I experienced. My first broken bone was the left pinky. That happened during my days as a youth minister. And I had taken our middle school kids out to the beach down in Pensacola, Florida, and we were playing football out on the beach. And during the course of playing this game of football, I caught a pass, and I was running for the end zone when all of a sudden one of our larger eighth grade boys had the audacity, the audacity to try and tackle me. And so I stiffed armed him to the ground and scored the touchdown, but broke my left pinky on his sternum when I stuck my hand out. But the important thing is I scored the touchdown, and I humbled that eighth grade boy. That's the job of youth ministers. And as anyone who's ever experienced a broken bone knows, those parts of the body that are subject to such an injury, they, they become temporarily unusable. They're sensitive to touch, they're, they're painful, and you lose their functionality for a while as they heal. And the truth is that, that we often come to the conclusion that anything that is broken is unusable. And we especially have that tendency when it comes to people. We have the ability, both outside the church and inside the church, we have the ability to view people as broken and therefore unusable. And that's not always a fair assessment of people. You see, we might look at people and say you're broken because of some disability you endure that's beyond your control. We might look at people and say they're broken because of some failure they've experienced in your life. It could be an academic failure, an occupational failure, a relational failure. And we come to the conclusion that they must be broken. Maybe we even encounter some people who are dealing with a mental or an emotional or a physical struggle, and we conclude that they're broken because of what they're having to endure. 
And when someone is deemed broken, they have a tendency to be simultaneously deemed unusable. But that's not how Jesus looked at people. I believe this is evident from the fact that Jesus pursued people who, from the world's perspective, were broken. And he not only made them feel whole again, but he also made them feel useful again. This morning, as we continue our study entitled, You Are More, playing off of the idea that when you look at an iceberg, you're only seeing about 10% of that iceberg above the water. There's a whole 90% below the surface you can't see. As we play off this idea of there being more to us than what meets the eye, I want us to consider the fact that from the standpoint of Jesus, you are more than a broken vessel. Because I'm certain there are people here today in this audience or joining us online who feel broken and unusable. But I believe there are a couple of stories, a couple of interactions in the life of Jesus that demonstrate that people are more than their brokenness. And I want to start with a story that appears in John chapter 4. It's the story of the woman, the Samaritan woman that met Jesus at the well. A story that has been prominent in several sermons. In fact, I just used her story uh, a month or so ago on the day before Halloween in a sermon called No More Masks because her story is so relatable. But what I want you to notice today is that Jesus pursued the Samaritan woman despite her relationship failures. As I've pointed out in the past, one of the most important details of this story is where it took place. John chapter 4, verse 4, tells us that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Had to pass through Samaria. Those words speak of necessity, of compulsion. But it's not exactly true that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. See, as one commentator pointed out, there were three routes between Jerusalem and Galilee, but only one of them passed through the heart of Samaria. You see, Jesus could have bypassed Samaria for the most part by traveling to the west, traveling along the coast of the Mediterranean. Now, granted, the area known as Samaria that separated Galilee in the north and Judea in the south did span all the way to the coast, but he would miss the heart of it. He would avoid the major city, the capital of Shechem, or Sychar, as it is known at this time. He could have traveled west along the coast and avoided the heart of Samaria. Or he could have traveled east, crossing the Jordan River and up its eastern shoreline, bypassing Samaria altogether, which is commonly known as the route most Jews would take because they didn't want to touch, they didn't want their feet to touch Samaritan soil. But instead, Jesus took the most direct route, traveling through the heart of Samaria and its capital city. But Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria. He could have chosen an alternative path. But he did have to go to Samaria because there were souls in Samaria that he needed to come in contact with. And you might remember in John chapter 4, as Jesus interacts with this Samaritan woman at the well, 
that Jesus instructed her to go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, affirming the truthfulness of her statement, he said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. Jesus' words reveal that this woman is broken according to the world's standards. She's been married five times. Now, it is possible that she was widowed by all five of those marriages. But the most likely scenario is that she had been divorced most or all of these times. That's because in Jesus' day, divorce was the prerogative of men. In other words, only a male, only a husband could initiate a divorce. You can get a sense of that custom, of that policy, of that tradition when you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10 where Paul's instructions are for the wife to not separate from her husband and for the husband to not divorce his wife. He's communicating the belief of the day, the standard of the day. Husbands could issue divorces. Wives could only separate themselves because they legally could not initiate the divorce. And so because it was the prerogative of the husband to initiate a divorce of these five previous marriages, some, if not all of them, could have been because the husband divorced her. It's also worth mentioning that in this day and age, there were two different schools of thought about divorce. They were competing schools of thought. And one of the more prominent rabbinical schools taught that you could divorce for any and every reason. In fact, if you go over to Matthew chapter 19, which begins with a conversation on the subject of marriage, divorce, and remarriage, Jesus is asked to weigh in on the debate of the day on the topic of marriage. The Pharisees approach him and they ask him this question, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Not just for sexual immorality, not just for adultery, but for any cause. That's the question in Matthew chapter 19. Because in that day and age, there was a large segment of the population who believed and who taught that you could divorce for any reason. And so it's quite possible that this woman has experienced the pain of divorce in these previous five marriages. And while we don't know exactly how each of her previous marriages ended, we do know that the teachers of the day disapproved of more than three marriages in a lifetime, even if they were legally permissible. And we do know that her current relationship was sinful because Jesus' words imply that she was in a relationship with a man that was of a nature that is to be reserved solely for marriage. So regardless of how you think her marriage has ended, she's currently living in a relationship that is unbiblical. And as a result of her multiple marriages and, and her current unscriptural relationship, 
This woman became a social outcast. This is evident from the fact that this woman came to draw water from the well at the sixth hour, which is equivalent to noon. And this is significant because typically people fetched water in the early morning or at dusk during the cooler parts of the day in order to avoid the Mediterranean heat. Not only that, but, but you may have noticed that she came to the well by herself. Typically, women would come in groups to fetch water. The fact that this individual came by herself at a time when few people would be going to the well indicates that she felt a sense of shame and was avoiding social contact with other women. Now, why is she avoiding social contact? I personally think it's because she knew that people thought she was broken. In the eyes of society, this, women, this woman's relationship failures made her unlovable, unworthy, maybe even untouchable. So this woman kept to herself. This, this woman avoided social interaction. This woman accepted ostracism all because the world said she was broken. And let's be honest. There are people present today and listening online who are just like this woman. Some of us have endured the pain the heartache and the stigma of marriages that have ended in divorce. And I'll be the first to admit it. I personally have not always been good at caring for the divorced. And it's been my impression that the church collectively has not always been good at caring for the divorced either. Sometimes we fail on this front because we're afraid we'll say or do something that makes things worse. Sometimes we fail on this front because we don't want to give the impression that we support divorce, particularly when it falls outside the parameters of what is biblically permissible. And sometimes we fail on this front because we don't have individuals in positions of leadership who have experienced divorce. And therefore, those of us who are in leadership sometimes lack empathy. Before I go any further, I, you need to know that I'm not, I'm not going to delve into what the Bible says about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. That's a sermon for another day, and that is a sermon that will come. What I want to say today is that there may be someone here who needs to hear the rest of this woman's story, because even though, even though society thought this woman was unfixable, Jesus didn't. Because to this broken woman, Jesus revealed his true identity— she posed this question in John chapter 4 and verse 25. She said, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus bluntly responded in verse 26, saying, I who speak to you am he. Jesus didn't hold his identity back from her. There have been times prior to this in the ministry of Jesus where he tried to keep his identity a secret. Where he might heal someone and then tell them to keep it to themselves. But he didn't do that here. 
And the next thing you know, this ostracized woman who had constantly been trying to avoid people ran into town telling everyone she encountered that a man that she, telling everyone she encountered that she had encountered a man who had told her everything she ever did and then suggested that he might be the Messiah. Meanwhile, Jesus' disciples returned from that very same town, having gone there to procure food for Jesus. But while in town, they failed to share the good news with anyone. They didn't bring a single soul out to that well to meet Jesus that day. But this broken woman, with all her relational baggage, proved that she was useful to Jesus because she brought the whole town out to meet him, according to John chapter 4 and verse 30. And we're told in John chapter 4 and verse 39 that many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to justify this woman's failed relationships. I'm not trying to justify her marriages or her current situation. We know based on the teachings of Scripture, we know specifically based on the teachings of Jesus, that this woman would not be allowed to continue in a sinful relationship and still be right with him. Remember, he told the woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. You see, what I think the big takeaway should be from this story is despite this woman's relationship failures, she was pursued by Jesus. She was made whole by Jesus. And she was made useful by Jesus. Someone who was deemed broken by the world found herself whole in Jesus and discovered that she was more than a broken vessel. And guess what? So are you. You may feel broken just like this woman did. You may have been treated as broken just like this woman was. But Jesus can make you whole. And Jesus can still use you. But this isn't the only story that demonstrates that. If you will, turn in your Bibles over to Luke chapter 8. In Luke chapter 8, we'll discover in verses 26 through 39 that Jesus pursued the tomb dweller despite his personal demons. We read about Jesus' encounter here in Luke chapter 8 with a demon-possessed man who lived among the tombs, according to verse 27. One thing that's important to notice about this story is that it begins with Jesus sailing to the country of the Gerasenes, according to verse 26, a region that is opposite Galilee. This little detail is important because it means that Jesus intentionally left Galilee and entered a Gentile region. If you look at this map of the Sea of Galilee, Galilee that's on the screen, I forgot to put some stars on here, but if you look at the very top, 
That's the city of Capernaum where Jesus based all of his ministry operations from. More time spent in Capernaum than any other individual city outside of Jerusalem. Right here at the top of the screen. And this whole western edge of the Sea of Galilee was part of the region of Galilee. But it's believed that the area Jesus sailed to that was opposite Galilee was over here. There's a town mentioned Gergesa. There are three different names for the community Jesus went to in the Synoptic Gospels, but it's believed that it was on this eastern edge of the Sea of Galilee where there are steep slopes slanting into the sea. Jesus intentionally left the region he was known for working in and traveled across the Sea of Galilee to Gentile territory, to an area that was part of what is known as the Decapolis, to meet this man. What's also interesting is if you look at the end of the story, the community asks Jesus to leave, and you can read in verse 37 that he got in the boat and returned. Based on the sequence of events that unfold between verse 26 and verse 37, it appears that this was a day trip. It appears that Jesus left this area the same day that he arrived. And if that's the case, then it seems to suggest that Jesus intentionally went out of his way to travel to and from this one location for the sole purpose of encountering this demon-possessed man. And as I've already mentioned, this demon-possessed man lived in a tomb, but his residence isn't the only surprising detail about his life. The description we're given of this guy reveals that he, too, was a social outcast. He's someone that the world would say was broken. And here's why. This man's demons had made him unconventional. Unconventional means different from what is usual or from the way most people do things. In regard to this man, he was unconventional because he walked around naked. Luke chapter 8 and verse 27 tells us that for a long time he had worn no clothes. This detail indicates that he was abnormal. It was not socially acceptable to walk around nude. But here he is, undressed in all that he does. We also discover here in the text that this man's demons made him uncontrollable. Luke tells us that in his demon-possessed state, he was empowered with Samson-like strength so that he was able to break free from chains and shackles. The fact that the community had attempted to bind him in this fashion and kept him under guard, as the text says, is an indicator that every attempt was made to control this guy, but none were successful. This guy was completely out of control because of the demons that possessed him. And one last detail worth mentioning about this guy is that his demons made him unsafe. There is an additional detail provided in Mark's account of this event. According to Mark chapter 5 and verse 5, this guy would cry out and cut himself with stones. In other words, he would engage in self-injurious behavior on account of this demon. Makes you wonder if he harmed anyone else because he possessed this demon. Ultimately, This guy lived alone in a cemetery because his personal demons made him unconventional, uncontrollable, and unsafe, 
And as a result, society deemed him unfixable. So he lived alone in the tombs where his demons would go unchecked. And let's be honest. There are some people present today or listening online that are not unlike this tomb dweller. There are people who are battling personal demons right now. I I don't mean that they're physically possessed by an unclean spirit that controls their actions like this guy. What I mean is that they're enslaved to something that causes harm, distress, or ruin in their lives. Maybe a substance or an activity to which they are addicted. It may be an attitude or a mindset that they can't seem to break. It may be a relationship they can't get out of or a relationship that they can't repair. It may be a mental health issue that they can't control. It may be some baggage from their past that they can't seem to offload. Maybe, maybe your personal demons have made you unconventional uncontrollable or even unsafe. And you've come to the conclusion that you must be unfixable. And what you need to hear is the rest of the story. Because even though society thought the tomb dweller was unfixable, Jesus didn't. When Jesus arrived on the scene, he dismissed the demons into a herd of pigs and Luke chapter 8 And verse 35 says that then people went out to see what had happened and they found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. In other words, Jesus fixed this man's broken life. Jesus made this man whole again. And in the process, society started viewing Jesus as broken. Look at what happened next in verse 37 through 39 of Luke chapter 8. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with them, but Jesus sent him away saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. That community turned on Jesus and rejected Jesus. But their rejection of Jesus created an opportunity for the tomb dweller to discover his usefulness. When Jesus prepared to leave, this man begged Jesus to let him go with him, but Jesus turned him down. Now why would Jesus not welcome this guy who had been unwelcome in his own hometown? I think it's because Jesus had bigger plans for him. Because Jesus looked at this man and said, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. In other words, Jesus instructed this man to go into the community that had just rejected him and serve as his representative in a place that he could no longer reach. So the man who used to be demon-possessed 
was not rejected by Jesus. He was redirected by Jesus. In other words, Jesus did not send him away because he was useless. Instead, Jesus sent him to where he would be the most useful. And this man proved that he was useful to Jesus because Luke chapter 8 and verse 39 concludes with the following words. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. This man found his usefulness in going into a community that Jesus was no longer welcome in and proclaiming Jesus to them. Now, don't get me wrong. The wounds caused by this man's demons weren't going away anytime soon. It could be the wounds, the physical wounds inflicted on his own body by cutting himself with those stones. It could be the financial devastation incurred by those pig farmers. It could be the psychological damage experienced by those who came in contact with the guy. Those wounds weren't going away anytime soon. This man's reputation and relationships were going to have to be rebuilt, and that was going to take some time. The big takeaway is not that wounds heal fast, because that's not true. The big takeaway from this story should be that despite this man's personal demons, he was pursued by Jesus, he was made whole by Jesus, and he was useful to Jesus. Someone who was deemed broken by the world found himself whole in Jesus and discovered that he was more than a broken vessel. And guess what? So are you. Sometimes we need to be reminded that our past doesn't have to be part of our present or our future. And through Jesus Christ, we can be whole and we can be useful again. And I'm reminded of an old parable about a water bearer. As the story goes, a water bearer had two large pots, each hung on the end of a pole that he carried across his neck. Now one of the pots had a crack in it. The other pot was perfect. And so the perfect pot always carried a full portion of water. The cracked pot always leaked out half of its water. For two years, this man carried the pots from a stream up a hill back to his master's house where he would provide water to the house. Of course, the whole pot would deliver a whole portion of water and the, ha the cracked pot would only deliver half a pot of water. And that cracked pot was ashamed of its own imperfection and was miserable because it could not accomplish what it was meant to do. And so one day, the cracked pot spoke to the water bearer and apologized. He said, I'm ashamed of myself and I'm sorry that I have not been able to deliver my entire load of water for you. 
because of my flaws, you have to do more work than you should have. The water bearer looked at the cracked pot and said, When we return to the master's house today from the stream, I want you to notice the flowers along the path. And so as they journeyed back to the house that day, the old cracked pot took notice of the flowers that lined the path between the stream and the master's house. But at the end of their journey, that cracked pot still felt miserable because once again he had leaked out half of his load. And when he attempted to apologize to the water bearer again, the water bearer said, Did you notice that there were flowers only on your side of the path, but not on the other? That's because I've always known about your flaw, and I took advantage of it. I planted flower seeds on your side of the path, and every day while we walked back from the stream, from the stream you watered them. And now for two years, I've been able to pick these beautiful flowers to decorate my master's table. Without you being the way you are, he would not have this beauty to grace his house. The reason I share that old parable with you is because it teaches us that your usefulness is not determined by your completeness. In other words, usefulness is not dependent on an unbroken life. Instead, your usefulness is determined by your submissiveness. Your usefulness is contingent on surrendering to the will of the one who knows how best to use you, regardless of how you've been broken in the past. This morning, I want to remind all of us that to some degree, all of us are broken. All of us are in need of repair. And only Jesus can provide that repair. And just because we've been broken doesn't mean we can't be useful. Why don't you find your usefulness for the Lord today? If you need to be repaired by the blood of Jesus, or if you need to surrender yourself to him so that you can be useful in his kingdom. Now is the opportunity to do that. We invite you to come while together we stand and sing.